Today on Ag News Daily. You know, I would, I, you could probably sell, but you could have probably sold this market most likely last Thursday with that with that uh, bearish reversal. But you have to be very careful. Again, it's a daily chart. They change. Welcome to a hashtag Market Monday episode of the Ag News Daily podcast. And this edition of the podcast is brought to you by Zyway brand fungicides by FMC. Not only is it Market Monday, Delaney, but it's also Valentine's Day. Do you have any special plans? I don't have any big Valentine's Day plans, Ashton. I think we're going to make some dinner at home. Neither of us uh, secured any dinner reservations. We both kind of let the ball drop there. But honestly, I'd rather cook a good steak at home anyways. You know, I'm right there with you. I prefer my steaks at home rather than going and getting one at a restaurant, to be honest. But I don't have a Valentine really besides my dog Atlas. So I think it's fitting that we'll just be spending it. Actually, we're not going to be spending it together. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm traveling to San Angelo for the stock show later today and Atlas will be boarded. So I'm not even going to be with my Valentine this year. Oh, he's probably going to be upset about that. I know I'm a little anxious leaving him at the boarding place. This is our first time not being together since I got him. So I am a little bit of a helicopter mom today and a little bit nervous dropping him off. Well, I'm sure he will do just fine and they'll probably send you pictures of him. I think a lot of doggy daycares do that. But, you know, today is Valentine's Day. It's also the one of the number one call-in sick days, Ashton, because, of course, the Super Bowl was yesterday. And I think there's one other day around like Christmas or Thanksgiving that's also a very common call-in sick day. But today is the other biggest call-in sick day for a lot of people who maybe drink a little too much watching the Super Bowl yesterday. Well, you know, Delaney, I am not one of those people. Didn't really drink a whole lot. There wasn't a whole lot to celebrate because I was rooting for the Bengals last night. And unfortunately, they lost. But there were some pretty good Super Bowl commercials this year. I didn't see a ton I loved, but I really loved the halftime show. That was like every millennial's dream was to see all of those artists, I think, because a lot of us probably grew up listening to them. And I was a big fan. I also was kind of sort of cheering on the Bengals just for a lack of a better team. So also uh, saw the saw the loss there for the Bengals. But all in all, I got some good food, so I wasn't too upset about it and had a great halftime performance show. Yeah, I didn't see a whole lot of commercials that I just really loved this year either. Although I did like GMs. It was the Austin Powers, Dr. Evil one. Oh, yes. That one was a good one. I agree. I liked that one. That one was probably my favorite. But other than that, I think that the Super Bowl commercials kind of lacked this year. I do too. They have for a while. And I was... I always like to go on Twitter during the Super Bowl to see what people thought of the halftime performance and the the ads. And, you know, we've seen corn syrup or the Bud Light commercial. That was a big one that upset a lot of farmers in the past. This year, apparently, the ad that a lot of farmers are pointing out attention to has been the electric cars ad that we saw, as well as the Bitcoin ads. There were a couple of cryptocurrency ads. There was the one, you know, where it just bounced a QR code around the screen for a while. So those were the interesting ones, I think, this year for the ag community. 
I've got to agree there. Didn't really enjoy the the crypto ones. I think they were a little creepy, kind of like sci-fi-esque. So wasn't too big of a fan, but I think that that's really just the collective decision. <laughs> yes, I, I think you're right. But over the weekend, we of course had the Super Bowl and all of those other things, but we also got an update here on geopolitical tensions going on between Russia and Ukraine. Because of course, on Friday... Or maybe it was Saturday. I'm trying to recall now. Anyways, heading into the weekend, we got suggestions that perhaps we would see a Russian invasion today, or if not by Wednesday. And we're starting to see those conversations start to become a little bit less intense. Russia has indicated that they are willing to continue discussions and that has certainly calmed the markets a little bit because, of course, there was talk over the weekend that began to center on a by Wednesday invasion. And that there's definitely now doubt creeping in that this, in fact, won't happen. Russia's come forward and said they are willing to have diplomatic discussions. And that's put the lid on this thing, at least in the short term, Ashton. Well, Delaney, a piece of news that I was looking at yesterday was something that I thought was very interesting. I don't know if I've been living under a rock or what, but there is the Spalvard Global Seed Vault. I didn't know that this was a thing, Delaney. I didn't know if you did either, but it's about midway between Norway and the North Pole. And it's only been opened a few times a year to limit its seed bank's exposure to the outside world. But today we are seeing a few different countries make deposits of their own seeds, including millet, sorghum, and wheat as backups of their own collections. And these countries include Sudan, Uganda, New Zealand, Germany, and Lebanon. This vault protects crop seeds from war, disease, and other catastrophes. And I thought that this was pretty interesting because I didn't know that this was a thing. It holds over 1.1 million seed samples of nearly 6,000 plant species from 89 different seed banks globally. And we're seeing even more of that being deposited today. So I thought that this was a nice piece of news to start our Monday off on. Yeah, it is interesting. I did know this existed. It's a bit of a strange concept to think, you know, this is the type of thing that for whatever reason reminds me of Area 51, where you think that something like this exists, but you never really know for sure. But this, in fact, does exist. Uh, I think they use it for a lot of research purposes. It's basically, in my understanding, if the world were to go into a world war or things are completely destroyed, you know, we have this vault that's a backup so that they could rebuild if necessary. The pictures are super dystopian-like of this vault. Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot online, but it's basically just tunnels and tunnels in the Arctic. And I don't know what to make of the pictures, but I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's very. It, that's a good way to put it. Dystopian, yes. Completely agree. Kind of like some Hunger Games, almost uh, the 100, if you watch that show, kind of a, a feeling. But... One thing that's not in that vault, obviously, is things related to the chemical side of the agronomic industry, at least not to my knowledge, Ashton. But agrochemical giant Bayer announced today or that they have been alerting retail partners 
that the company may not be able to fill some glyphosate contracts this spring due to a supplier's manufacturing problem. They've sent multiple letters to different retail partners declaring force majeure, which has been due to an uncontrollable event that prevents them from fulfilling these contracts. They said, in fact, this is true after asked, uh, a spokesperson was asked, you know, are these letters true? Is this just a rumor? And they said, no, this is in fact true. And due to some supply chain issues, they've had a hard time supplying glyphosate and they will, we could be seeing a pretty noticeable shortage this year of glyphosate products by your retail partners. So just one more piece of that puzzle that is coming to light now, Ashton, as you look at other supply chain issues that are out there. Well, there are some pieces of the puzzle that we need to talk about, Delaney, when it comes to our relationship with Mexico. Over the weekend, the U.S. put a ban for the time being. There's no suspected lifting of the ban as of yet for avocados coming from Mexico. There was a threat sent to a U.S. inspector, and this is something I guess that the U.S. and our ag department is really taking seriously because there was an incident um, some time ago. I can't really put my finger on the exact time, but there was a a group of ag inspectors that were held at gunpoint um, by a a gunpoint in Mexico, something like that. And so the U.S. really doesn't want something like this to happen again. So there were some really harmful threats sent to this inspector's phone, I believe. And so there's some weird things going on. You know, there's not a whole lot of details. It's just a ban until further notice, really trying to protect the U.S. inspector slash inspectors down there. But that's really all I know right now. Like I said, some couple puzzle pieces, I think, that are missing to really fill in that whole story. That definitely feels like uh, this episode of Billions. It's on Showtime, I think. But it's something very similar to this where they're trying to manipulate the stock market. So they're going in and paying off this USDA poultry inspector. But it kind of gives me very similar vibes to that, Ashton. Like this is the type of thing that you would see in a TV show or soap opera. And just to confirm here, Delaney, that gang gunpoint situation was back in 2019, and the U.S. said that if further threats were ever to happen, that this would prompt an immediate cease of, quote, program activities. So they're really holding to their word. Okay, so this 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 gunpoint, that wasn't a recent event. That was a couple of years ago event. Yes, but the threats are a recent event that happened over the weekend. Well, speaking of Mexico, you know, they do continue to be one of our biggest partners when it comes to pork exports. And while they're still expected to be a really good market this year, China is expected to show waning sales. The growth for U.S. pork is going to be focused primarily this year on Central and South America, according to an economist from global agritrends. Mexico, I didn't realize this, accounts for 22 cents out of every dollar in U.S. pork exports for last year. And eight other Latin American nations are set to become major customers for U.S. pork this year moving forward. So certainly you're going to be focusing a lot of our attention down south, Ashton, as, you know, like expected, China 
saw a big jump in recovery due to African swine fever or after African swine fever, I should say. And so now all eyes will be turning to South America. Well, Delaney, in the same vein here of animal proteins, we're continuing to keep an eye out on the U.S. poultry industry. Last week, you know, we talked about that Indiana farm that was hit with bird flu and how Mexico was stopping imports of Indiana poultry. And it was reported that China and Korea had also limited purchases from Indiana last week due to that outbreak. And this trend might continue this week as a commercial chicken flock in Kentucky tested positive for the same H5N1 strain of bird flu. There isn't a whole lot of info as of yet on what they're going to do, you know, with this farm. I suspect they're going to do some culling here. Not sure how many birds will be culled, but just another situation of bird flu here in the U.S. And I'm afraid that this is going to be something that we continue to talk about. It certainly is, Ashton, as well as an increase in farmland values. That's not going to change anytime soon, according to a recent survey of ag bankers. They reported a 22% increase in farmland values in the Central Corn Belt during 2021 and said that they expect values to continue to rise in the coming months this year, largely due, of course, to commodity market prices and values there. But on Thursday of last week, Iowa reported a large increase, largest increase of 30%. So all in all, the Central Corn Belt saw obviously their very steep annual increases, Iowa leading the way, and those are expected to continue suit here in 2022. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news for today. Do you have anything else for us? I don't believe I do, Ashen, other than chatting commodity market prices. Before we get into the markets for today, which really is all I have left to chat about, let's hear quickly from today's sponsor, Zyway Brand Fungicides by FMC. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Well, Ashton, looking at commodity prices today, we certainly saw some interesting trade in the overnight as... Uh, We did see soybeans sell off pretty substantially, and that continued to follow through into today's trade where we saw quite a bit of weakness on the day. We're going to get Darren's take on that here in just a moment, but in the main... In the meantime, March soybeans closed 14 cents lower today at 1569, November down three cents at 1441. In the corn pits today, we actually saw corn call its way back to some positive territory with the March contract adding four and a half cents to close at 655 and a half. Decent new crop corn up two and a half cents, closing the day at 597 and a quarter. Wheat finished mixed on the day as the May contract. Closed a half a cent lower to end at 8.03 and a half. Dees closed a penny and three quarters higher at 8.03. And tapping over into the livestock pits to say, 
Today, we saw plenty of strength here throughout the entire protein markets as the April live cattle contract added 17 and a half cents, closing at 146.35. The June added 32 and a half cents, closing the day out at 141.45. In the feeder cattle pits today, the March contract added 65 cents, closing at 166.87. The April up 80 cents, closing at a buck 71 and a half. And in lean hogs today, that strength continued. The April contract adding a dime, closing at 102.32. The May also added a dime, closing at 106.50. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. March today added 13 cents, settling at 22.81. The April up 23 cents, closing the day out at 23.17. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our hashtag Market Monday conversation with Darren Newsom. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting with Darren Newsom today of Darren Newsom Analysis. Darren, how are you doing today? Oh, it is. It has been a fun start to the week, that's for sure. It <laughs> certainly has. I think soybeans knew you were coming on the podcast today. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, it's funny. I've I've been uh, I've been bullish soybeans. I keep talking about how you know their forward curves and basis and everything is bullish. Yeah, you know, so we we come out of a we come out of a South American harvest weekend, and we see pressure on the market. And there's a lot of folks. Oh, you know, the market's changed. Market's changed. No, market hasn't changed. We just saw harvest over the weekend, just like we do in North America during the summer. So, uh, market hasn't changed at all. We just found some selling today, and, and buyers are still waiting in there to get some coverage on. So, uh, market didn't really change much at all today. Okay, because the question that I had was, you know, we saw a big reversal last week where we shot up on the day, we closed lower, we followed through, I think that was Thursday last week, if I'm not mistaken, then, Mm -hmm. you know, we followed the next day, we closed higher on the day, and then we have a a pretty big down day today in old crop soybeans. The question is, has this actually proven to be a reversal? And has the trend changed today? From... A short-term perspective, and this is a great question, uh, Delaney, from a short-term perspective, on the daily chart, we did get a key, what's called a key bearish reversal last Thursday. And sometimes you do get a little bit of a bounce immediately thereafter. It's kind of a 50-50 toss-up. Either you continue or get a 50, or you get a little bit of a bounce. We got that bounce on Friday, but the sell signal was still there. The, the bearish signal was still there. And if I remove the title from that chart, and if I, if, I, if I erased my mind of everything that I know about soybean fundamentals and I looked at that daily chart, that was a bearish chart. That was an incredibly bearish chart. And then this morning, uh, you know, I think it was in the, in the overnight session still, we saw the March-May old crop contracts not only break through Friday's lows and already establish an outside, or an outside trading range from Friday, but then it took out the previous four-day lows. And from a technical point of view, and these are all technical uh, terms, but from a technical point of view, that's bearish. That's a bearish momentum signal. When you take out the previous four-day low, that's a short-term bearish signal. And so we fell, and the market fell. But by the end of the day, we'd cut our losses in more than half. Yes, we we were still looking at double-digit losses, but it just it didn't have that feeling of a collapse. It looks bearish on its daily chart, but that's where the Goldilocks principle comes in. Daily charts are too hot. Monthly charts are too cold. The weekly charts are just right. 
Okay, so by that explanation, you are still thinking soybeans have some upside potential. Today's chart does look ugly when you look at it from a daily perspective, but the warning bells haven't gone off yet in your head. No, I mean, if I was just, if I was a short-term trader, you know, I would, I, you could probably sell that. You could have probably sold this market most likely last Thursday with that, with that uh, bearish reversal, but you have to be very careful. Again, it's a daily chart. They change very rapidly. I don't have a clear reversal signal on the weekly chart, which is what I, which, what I watch mostly. So, you know, if, if I'm betting on just a short-term move, okay, I, I might say, yeah, this thing could go down. But bottom line, fundamentals win in the end. Newsom's rule number six. Fundamentals win in the end. Fundamentally, the market is still bullish. That has not changed. It's not going to change anytime soon. So when the market comes down, there's going to be plenty of people willing to jump in. Maybe the biggest buyer in the world, cash buyer in the world, is going to be finally interested in some U.S. soybeans. Maybe they start buying again. But there's going to be plenty of buying interest as this market tries to move lower. It's going to be a tough grind to get very far down. And then it comes back to fundamentals. Fundamentals still bullish. Market looks like it could still go higher. So, Darren, we're talking obviously more so about old crop soybeans right now. So Mm -hmm. I want to kind of ask a multi-part question here. So I apologize. I'm going to throw a lot at you all at one time. You're talking bullish fundamentals. When you look at the spread right now between, let's just even talk, you know, the May and no, there's a, there's a dollar and a half almost spread between those two. Are the fundamentals bullish for new crop soybeans? Why is there still continuing to be this huge spread? And what's it going to take to see that spread narrow? Okay. When we talk about things like, you know, the May, you know, the May, November, July, November spreads. We're, we're not necessarily comparing apples to apples. We're comparing, or let me say, we're not comparing oranges to oranges. We're, we're comparing oranges to tangerines. They're, they're similar. I mean, they've got the same name. They're both called soybean. But one of them's old crop and one of them's new crop, and they have two completely different uh, sets of supply and demand, uh, two completely different sets of real fundamentals. Now, why is May, why, are, why is old crop so much higher priced than new crop? Because we don't have any old crop soybean. We're out. We, we don't have any. We, our, our available supplies, as I post every month, our available stocks to use is down to 0.2%. That's one of the tightest we've seen on record. We, we just simply don't have the soybeans. New crop is still nothing but unknowns. We don't know how many acres we're going to have. We don't know what the weather is going to be. We don't know what the production will be. We don't know, we don't know what demand next marketing year will be. So it's nothing but unknown. So it doesn't have that same that same hysteria behind it that the old crop market does is new crop fundamentals bullish yes new crop fundamentals are still bullish we still have an inverted forward curve out throughout throughout the 2022-23 marketing year that's still bullish but all of the buying is up front because we know we are tight on soybeans for 2021-22 we don't know how tight we will be for 2022-23 yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Acreage is what it is. You know, Blaine and I were talking about that earlier today, and it's like, okay, the acres can shift, but in most states, it's not going to shift substantially enough for probably the markets to care. And the thing the markets do care about, though, Darren, and is a good indication, again, of supply and demand in local areas is basis. And I know that's something you track very closely. We were texting a little bit about it last week because I had some interesting mm-hmm. questions I was just pondering in my own head. 
as I'm getting ready to talk to a crop insurance group later this week. But walk us through basis levels right now on both the corn and soybean side of things, because I know they've been shifting here pretty frequently day in and day out. Yeah, and, and here's where it gets interesting. And why I usually talk about spreads, it's because it's more of a general view of supply and demand. When we boil it down to basis, we can look at it from national point of view, which is what I talk about most when I, when I talk about basis, because, again, this gives us our, our big world view. But it also, I mean, we can also look at local, we can look at regional, we can look at, we can, we can bring this thing down as much as we want to. And each, at each level, it tells us what the supply and demand situation is at that point. So, you know, if we're talking about one particular location where basis is starting to collapse, let's say corn basis has dropped. I think there was one instance last week I was visiting with someone where basis, where corn basis had dropped 18 cents over the course of two weeks. Well, it's because in that location, in that in that region, we've seen cash corn sold to meet that area's demand. And so merchandisers don't have to push basis. Futures were going up. So they can sit back and, and let it and let basis kind of weaken while the futures market does the job of sourcing supplies. Now, when we start talking about national basis, soybeans have weakened, I think, something like four weeks in a row now, as far as just looking at uh, the commodity national corn or excuse me, soybean basis index, soybeans have weakened four weeks in a row, but they're still holding above the previous five-year high, and that speaks volumes. We are seeing some soybeans move into the U.S. system, but number one, it's not enough. So we've got a little bit of weight weakness in the basis going on, in the national average uh, basis going on, but there's still not enough soybeans, so we're still holding above we're still at stronger levels than we've been over the last five years, and futures prices continue to move to new highs. It's an incredibly bullish situation. In corn, again, these, uh, this move in the, in the markets has generated cash sales since the beginning of early January. We've seen uh, national average corn basis weaken for five weeks in a row. It's pulled below the previous five-year highs, but still within sight and still holding well above the average for this time of year. So again, we're dealing with tight supplies. We're dealing with strong demand. It's just we've got new supplies coming into the system that's putting some pressure on on national basis. Well, Darren here, before we get into this next question, let's take a quick pause in our conversation to hear a quick message from FMC. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriophol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. So, Darren, you mentioned that we just don't have a lot of crop in stockpile. With farmers looking at obviously 2022 production and still holding maybe some of their own stocks in grain bins or in commercial storage or whatnot. Do you think, I'm going to be curious what you say, because I know you have a lot of opinions about a lot of different reports and, and government things, but I, I, I have opinions. <laughs> does, does the market care or know how much old crop corn and soybeans producers are still sitting on? Yes. Yes. And that's where the spreads come in. 
I mean, the, the market, no. It, USDA can change its mind, change its numbers, make up this, make up that. doesn't make any difference. The spreads have been telling us that, okay, so we talked about basis. The basis is that short-term, you know, where we get the flow of supply coming in, demand is this and all this. And this, this thing sets, this is what sets our spot basis. But so we can say corn basis has been weakening, but the May July future spread is still inverted. So what does this tell us? Okay, so we've got some cash supplies coming into the market. It's weakening basis short term, but the May July spread still inverted. So the market knows we don't have the supplies. We don't have the supplies to meet demand longer term through the course of the spring and summer into this 21-22 marketing year. So yes, the market knows. The mar- and, and I know all the arguments out there, really the only ones that care about these USDA reports mostly is ag media. They're the ones that make a big deal out of these things and people listen and people follow. Traders, large traders and commercial traders and com- non-commercial and commercial traders really could care less, couldn't care less about the, the USDA reports because they already know. They can read the markets just as easily as I can. And the market's telling us the supplies aren't there. Jared, I want to switch tracks just a little bit here because I know we're running out of time. And I, I had this question mm-hmm. written down as well, since I know you pay really close attention to seasonal trends. Mm-hmm. In both old crop corn and soybeans, we recently took out the pre-harvest highs that we put in. And now we've seen a new post-harvest high. Has this ever happened for old crop this time of year on both corn and soybeans? Yeah, you know, normally this time of year, we are moving higher. It's usually a much slower move. And seasonals are fun tools. They're, they're great to use, and they give us this idea of what, what should happen. But the one thing, I mean, that can really screw up seasonals is fundamentals. So seasonals show us what the normal pattern is when supply and demand is average. But when we get a supply and demand situation far out of line with average or with normal, that's when we see extraordinary counter-seasonal moves. That's what we've caught. That's what we see ourselves in right now. Because, and again, this this confirms what we already know about fundamentals: the fact that we're seeing these extended seasonal moves, these, these seasonal moves on steroids uh, that are just blowing past what they normally do. Is it just South American production that's an abnormal fundamental this year compared to others? No, it's, it's U.S. as well. I mean, uh, we, we don't have the supplies that, that we keep being told that we do. Uh, we, don't have, we don't have the available supplies. And again, that's, that's with domestic basis is telling us that. Uh, certainly, South American weather is playing a role because it's not refilling the soybean supplies. It's not, you know, it's not buffering the, the corn supplies on, on the global stage. So, it, you know, as, I, as I've long said, these markets at their heart, at their core, are weather derivatives. So weather worldwide really does set the tone for all these things. But then we get to read you know, the basis, we get to read the spreads, and we can kind of piece together where the bigger problems are and, and, and what the market thinks of the overall situation. And, and that's what we're left with today. Okay, so I think this is a good place to end our conversation, Darren, with this final question I've got, because we're sharing, you're sharing a lot of things that you are very bullish still both corn and soybeans, <laughs> which I think it can be a little deceiving to producers because then they're thinking, oh, I'm not going to make any cash sales. I'm not going to look at marketing ahead. 
Mm-hmm. Where do you think we're going to be come? Let's, I mean, we don't, we obviously can't account for supply and demand and whether that's going to happen still this summer, but where should producers be right now? Should they be looking at making sales? Do you think there's still another $2 move in corn? I mean, give us your, I guess, medium to harvest time projections for where we're going to be at. All right. When you get in an inverted situation like this, and when I say inverted, I'm talking about spreads, it's pointless to try to pick tops. Uh, and I know there's, I know that's kind of the game out there right now is, is for analysts to kind of make up tops. I, I don't really play that game. The, the easiest thing to say, the best thing to say is this is the easiest type of marketing anyone can do, old crop, new crop, however far out they want to go, because you can't make a bad sale. If you sell a little bit today and it goes up $2 in a month, you still made a good sale. You can just make a better sale at that time. So every sale you make, big or small, whatever it might be, is a good sale. So yeah, get some on the books. Um, sell a little bit. I mean, that's what an inverted market's telling you to do. The market needs the grain now. Yes, it's short of supplies, but it needs the grain now. So sell a little bit to them. And same thing with new crop. If it's an attractive price and you can pay some bills and, and it's profitable, attract a little bit. It's the easiest, it's the easiest marketing that a person can do is in markets like these. Fantastic. I like that advice. I really like that advice. I think that's a good place to end us for today. But Darren, I know you are watching a lot of these things on a macro and micro level through some of the analysis you do with Darren Newsom analysis. Mm-hmm. If we have folks that want to sign up for a trial or read more of your stuff, how can they find you? Easiest way to find me besides being on, on this program, which I really appreciate Delaney, is to go to darrennewsom.com. And once you're there, Go to the services page, sign up for the seven-day free trial, see what we talk about, see what, see what you know, the analysis we post, the commentary we post, uh, my weekly columns, whatever it might be. Uh, and take a look around for a week, see what you like, see what you question, and, and, uh, and then we can go from there. But just DarrenNewsom.com, easiest, easiest way to find me. Fantastic. Well, Darren, certainly appreciate your time today for coming on and chatting markets. Well, as I said, Delaney, I always appreciate you having me on. I always enjoy our conversations. Thanks again there to Darren for coming on and chatting with us for this Market Monday episode. Delaney, we will be having some fantastic conversations for the rest of the week, and we'll be hearing from our sponsor, FMC, later on on Wednesday. So folks can tune into that at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.